Pat's Interference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. So I've got three words for you as we start this episode, the final one of draft season. We made it. It's over. The wait, the mock drafts, the projections, well, not the mock drafts, we're going to find one here in a second, but all the projections, everything. The draft is tonight as this drops on a Thursday morning, currently recording here uh, Wednesday midday. I have two things here for you, one of which is going to have staying power through the weekend, and that is a conversation with NBC Sports Boston's Tommy Curran. Tom is the best. We went big picture in this draft. What are the stakes? What does he expect the Patriots to do? What are the things they can't do? And what are we going to learn about this team beyond, you know, the 9, 10, 11, 12 players, however many they add, because we know they're going to move around, about this team? Really good conversation with him. Obviously, go listen, watch Tom whenever you can, but especially starting here in this podcast. Before we get to that, I have my final seven-round Patriots mock draft for you. Now, at the end of every final mock draft going on now five years of this, I realized I spent way too much time, and never more so last year than, of course, when we all sat there and watched Cole Strange come off the board at 29th overall. And if you read the Boston Herald the next day, uh, Cole Strange was in the paper once for being a first-round pick and another time as a potential day-two pick for the Patriots because that story had already been filed and printed and sent out to Greater New England. Now, uh, I still spend a ton of time in this because I do take pride in this, and it's more than just getting into the players, which if you want to hear more prospects, if it's the Patriots in day one, day two, and day three, and even some that have been discussed, as potential Patriots elsewhere that might not actually fit. Listen to our last episode with Alex Barth. Here, though, I have players for every single one of the Patriots' 11 picks. Again, we know they're going to trade. I would expect them for the sixth straight year to trade up in the second round, where they're currently around 46, but you get into the late 30s there. Vegas is there. The Eagles, um, well, the Eagles are early in the first round, but there are a lot of different teams there that they can move up to to get a potential day one talent that slips for whatever reason. We've seen it with Christian Barmore. They moved up in the second round uh, last year to get Tyquan Thornton in, in the early 40s. You have Joan Williams and on and on and on. So they're not going to stick to their picks. We know this, but I stuck to the picks to keep it as simple as possible, to give you names to watch for. These are all but close to perfect Patriot fits in the rounds or areas the Patriots are right now are scheduled to make selections. So let's get to this. On to Tommy Curran, and let's have a draft weekend, all right? So, here we go. Seventh round pick, Patriots have one. It's a 245th overall. If you are still watching at this point, I need you to check in and talk to someone close to you because you, like myself, certainly have problems. But the pick, almost assuredly, unless he's already off the board, Adam Corsak, punter out of Rutgers. He's arguably the best punter in the draft. He went to Rutgers. Let's turn the card in already. Moving up, sixth round, the Patriots' last pick in the sixth round. They have four this year. Is it 210th overall? Isaiah Bolden, cornerback, Jackson State. Now, I admitted last week, I didn't know Isaiah existed until the Patriots had him in for one of their 30 draft visits in Foxborough. He's six foot two, 201 pounds. Again, plays at Jackson State to the FCS level. But this kid has 4'3 speed. He has the size they need at corner. In 2021, he was arguably the best returner in all of college football, FBS, FCS, averaging almost 37 yards per return, scored multiple touchdowns. That's a pick the Patriots look at and go, we can mold that type of talent. We've developed corners, J.C. Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Jonathan Jones, all undrafted. Here they don't wait. They spend the six-round pick, take Isaiah Bolden out of Jackson State. Moving up, staying in the sixth round, number 192 overall, 
UCLA offensive lineman Antonio Maffi. Maffi was with the Patriots at the East West Shrine Bowl all the way back in late January, played in the game in February. He's a guy who has played left guard and right guard, six foot two, 329 pounds. And he it's it's a strange profile because he's both raw and experienced the position tying the UCLA record for most career starts, but he's raw because only part of those came on offense. He started his career as a defensive tackle under Chip Kelly, flipped to the offensive side, as I mentioned, played both guard spots, which is, you know, that prize versatility for the Patriots. Great value here. Great strength, a little bit unrefined in pass protection, but you get those guards in the sixth round, a la Mike Onwenu, who's more of a run blocker. They work with him. I think there's really good value there, and I think he impressed at the East West Ryan Bowl where he was voted a captain, which didn't even exist at the start of the week, but that was the impression that he made. Staying in the East-West Shrine Bowl, moving up five picks, number 187 overall, still here in the sixth round. Demario Douglas, wide receiver out of Liberty. Douglas is only five foot eight. He's only 179 pounds, but he is a jitterbug with 4-4 speed. This is a kid you get the ball to in space, let him take care of the rest. The Patriots need players like this. Dynamic, can create offense on their own. We've talked about this, you know, almost ad nauseum here. He's a poor man's Tyler Scott who is a poor man, Zay Flowers, if you really want to oversimplify this. But I think with that big playability, even though he played mostly in the slot at Liberty, he showed out against his better competition when they played Arkansas and Wake Forest. This is the kid that they're familiar with, I think they'll be comfortable with, and has something they could bring to that receiving core the Patriots really need. Okay, closing out the sixth round. Their first pick is scheduled to be 184th overall, tight end Payne Durham out of Purdue. Payne Durham has to be a wrestling name somewhere, at least a school bully. Hopefully not this pain Durham because he is six foot five, 253 pounds, which certainly uh, pound anyone in sight. One of the few good run blockers in this tight end class, one of the best in recent memory. Uh, he's the first of two plus run blockers coming at the position, spoiler alert. Uh, he was mentioned by ex-Patriot scout Jim Nagy, now the senior bowl head as a potential Patriot when Jim does this annual interview with ESPN's and friend of the podcast, Mike Reese. He projects as kind of a solid, unspectacular number two. But when you look at the Patriots' depth chart right now at tight end, that's exactly what they need. They don't need any more sizzle or, or pass-catching talent. Mike Kosicki is really a nominal tight end. He's going to be in the slot most of the time, not in line. Payne Durham lives in line. So he only ran in the <clears throat> four eights, but he stood out at the Senior Bowl. Crafty route runner, eight touchdowns last year at Purdue. I think this is a good value for a guy who could go in the fifth round but here the Patriots nab him in the early six. So skipping the fifth round, the Patriots have no pick there. We go straight to the fourth. If you have been listening to this podcast faithfully or reading my mock drafts and draft coverage, you know this name already. Makai Blackman, cornerback, USC. Makai is 5'11", 178 pounds. A little bit light in the shoes, but we know the Patriots, at least right now, don't care too much about that. So long as you're a sticky man-to-man corner, because that's exactly what Jack Jones was, under 178 pounds for Jack Jones, last year when they took him in the Fourth round. Again, here in the fourth round, a little bit later than Jack Jones went. But Makai Blackman, great ball skills. Okay, comes from a man-to-man system. 15 pass breakups last year. That's 1-5 in one season. Also played some in the slot. Had a good senior bowl. He's a guy that just makes too much sense for them. Had multiple meetings with the Patriots. I've been told during the draft process, I think makes all the sense in the world. Even if 135, when you look at his, you know, consensus, um, you know, the, the consensus big boards and where does this player go on average? Where does he fall? He's much later, but I think here at the end of the fourth round, if they make this pick, it's it's 
He might even go earlier, but turn the card in already. Okay, staying in the fourth round, 117th overall. You haven't heard this name a whole lot connected to the Patriots, except for the fact that he took one of those top 30 visits in Foxborough. And that is Marte Mapu, a hybrid safety linebacker out of Sacramento State. Six foot three, 221 pounds. Basically the size of Kyle Duggar. Uh, also hits like Kyle Duggar. He's a six-year senior, small school prospect. Initially snubbed at the Senior Bowl. They invited him. He got hurt. High school, he played outside corner. He played nickel. He played safety. He played linebacker. In college, he got moved to this outside linebacker position. I mean, it's really over the nickel, but it's the, the position is so much in space with the wider hashes in college. You need to be able to play in zone and also come in and hit and play, be the force player against the run. He does all of this. Like the amount of force Mapu packs into that 221-pound frame, I think is going to be really attractive to Bill Belichick, who looks at him and says, we'll find a fit for this guy because of his aggression against the run, his instincts, his ability to play in space. Last year, one sack, a forced fumble, six pass breakups, two picks uh, after he had four interceptions in 2021. Again, already took a pre-draft visit. He's a good blitzer. At the very least, at this size, you're a core special teamer. I think he could be more New England. It's just a matter of fit. But in the fourth round, you don't have any more perfect prospects left. So Mapu, I think, fits. Okay, their last, well, really their first pick in the fourth round, number 107 overall, tight end Luke Schoonmaker out of Michigan. This is a rather plus run blocker, six foot five, 251 pounds. And the Michigan pipeline continues. I mean, we've seen this. Chase Winovich, Josh Uche, Mike Onwenu, all of these players come from a pro-style program. And specifically on offense, this is a pro-style offense. So Schoonmaker came into college as a left-handed quarterback, left a big hulking tight end. He tested exceptionally well at the NFL Combine, crushed the broad jump, the vertical jump, the short shuttle. So you're looking at explosion off the line and in his cuts, good short area quickness. He's powerful enough, blocked in line a ton at Michigan. You know, some have compared him to Dawson Knox, but I think this is a guy that is exactly what they need. Someone developmental who's got enough traits to just hang, refine his game, develop. The big knock on Schoonmaker is not anything physical. It's just his lack of production. I mean, he didn't cross 500 yards in any season at Michigan and really only got his opportunity as a senior because of injury. But he did enough with that where you look across the draft experts right now, he's right in this range around pick 100. So that's either going to be late third round or early fourth. The Patriots get their first tight end here in the early fourth round. Okay, on to the third round. They have one pick here in each of the first three rounds. We got three picks left. Patriots have already taken two corners. Okay. They've taken two tight ends, according to this mock. No offensive lineman that's coming, but not before a little curveball, third round. This player is one that you've heard, I think, from a lot of Patriots reporters as a potential pick. I don't think you see him mocked a whole lot because it's not necessarily a position to need. But Jartavius Quan Martin out of Illinois, he's a defensive back, potential Devin McCourty replacement. And this is even in a weak safety class. He's expected to go in the third round right around this pick, if not a little bit later. He played everywhere across the secondary. This is another projected Patriot, according to Jim Nagy, again, ex-Patriot scout, senior bullhead. Um, played mostly in the nickel last year, but he's played some single high. Force for speed, good quickness, can play deep, come up, make the tackle. Exceptional, exceptional tackle. Uh, tackler only had seven misses last year. And so when you look at that, plus he's a team captain, the versatility, he's got time to iron out 
any sort of impatience, whether he's up near the line of scrimmage or diagnosing plays from the deep part of the field, because, you know, Adrian Phillips, Kyle Duggar, Jalen Mills, Jabil Peppers, all fit more as box safeties. They need this pure single high safety who Jonathan Jones can moonlight there, but then you're light at corner. Marcus Jones has played some safety in college and didn't play a ton last year. I mean, it was a handful of snaps. He could play there. You need someone dedicated to that position to be the quarterback of your secondary. Jartavius Quan Martin could do that. It's just a matter of, is there a better value there at 76? Because that's a really important pick. Okay, the offensive lineman. If you've been listening, again, you know I'm on the offensive lineman train for the Patriots in the first round. Right now, I'll tell you that comes in the second. I'm on board with Cody, uh, Cody Mock, offensive lineman out of North Dakota State. He's six foot five, 302 pounds. This is not Cole Strange 2.0, but he will be a fan favorite, not because the back of his jersey reads Strange and then the number 69, but because this dude is missing two front teeth. Now, I would have stuck with Darnell Wright, my original pick, a couple of weeks ago when I did dueling mock drafts with Fitzy because he's a right tackle, could start right away, plug and play, dominated his elite level competition, good combine, blah, blah, blah. I just look at that pick and go, you have to be someone the Patriots feel comfortable from day one starting. And right now, by their actions and free agency and hearing from Matt Crow last week, they seem comfortable, right or wrong, in offensive tackle. So to me, that points more to someone that you could develop. When you look at Mock, who is very, and that's M-A-U-C-H, out of North Dakota State, he came in as a 220-pound tight end. Again, FCS level. Leaves at 302, which is a little bit light. And he's got some shorter arms. But at the Senior Bowl, he crushed his FBS competition. He played across the line after starting multiple years at left tackle. He played left guard, right guard. He played right tackle. So if the Patriots don't mind the slightly shorter arms, I don't think they're huge on length when it comes to offensive tackles. They can figure out where he slots best and think that Calvin Anderson, Riley Reef, and Trent Brown, when we throw all of them at the wall, two of them will stick. They'll be able to start. But Mock can develop because he's got the toughness. He's got the smarts. And he's also come in for a top 30 visit. So they're invested in getting to know him. And between the upside, the want to, and the rare athleticism, when you look at he crushed all of the testing numbers in the combine, this is the type of player the Patriots love along their offensive line. Smart, tough, athletic enough. He's more than athletic enough. He's a guy who can play across the line, play in space, ferocious run blocker. This makes a lot of sense to me. The only holdup is the arm length. But, I mean, he's top 40, top 50 in virtually everyone's boards at number 46. The Patriots get a future offensive tackle, get to year to kind of develop and find himself as an offensive lineman in the NFL. So that leaves us at 14th overall, the first round. Who's the pick? I did not land on this pick until late, late last night, overthinking this again and again and again. But when I look at the value here and the talent in this class for the Patriots and where this lines up and what they typically do, which is we've discussed before, historically drafted a year ahead of time for need. And with Matt Judon, who has two years left in his contract, Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings entering contract years, I think they like an edge here early. And I'm not talking about Nolan Smith. I'm not talking about Tyree Wilson, who Nick Casario down in Houston supposedly loves, would make sense that he's high on the Patriots boards. I'm talking about Miles Murphy at a Clemson. Six foot four, 268 pounds. Those numbers and all of his testing numbers are exactly what the Patriots have drafted at the edge position over the last 10 years when you average all of the players that they've taken. So Murphy, beyond being the prototypical Patriot on the physical front, was versatile in college. They had him on the edge. They had him at a four-eye, which is just inside the offensive tackle. He played them 
three technique. He stood up in a two-point stance on the edge. He's explosive. He's a freak athlete, ran at four five. Again, at six foot four, 268 pounds, high effort player, can anchor versus the run. How much have we heard about setting the edge, setting the edge, setting the edge? 17 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles over three years at Clemson, where he started and was a freshman All-American. The only knock here is kind of a lack of development from there. But when you look at the body type and the kind of decent but not great production, he reminds me a ton of Chandler Jones coming out in 2012, where the Patriots took him at 21st overall. I'm not saying Miles Murphy is going to be Chandler Jones. I just think when they look at a year ahead, someone who could come in on day one, at least in a rotational purpose, but also can set the run already better than Josh Uche, maybe he's there and they take him and know their role immediately, but also down the line for a player that is safe, that they trust, that they visited with at the combine, saw at his pro day, Marcus Covington, the defense line coach was there, along with Cameron Williams, the director of college scouting. And then just like Cody Mock, had in for a pre-draft visit in Foxborough. So from the time that they invested, the way he fits from a physical standpoint, the coaches at Clemson supposedly love him, not that they would air his dirty laundry, everything checks out. And so whether it's a 14 or the dreaded trade back, Miles Murphy is the guy that I've been putting any chips down, even though it's not an immediate position of need, the Patriots, given their current roster construction and the way they've gone about drafting in the first round, for the most part in years past, I think edge makes a ton of sense for them, even if it's not the pick that I would make. But that's what not what this is about. This is about mocking what the Patriots would do. At a 14th overall, they'll have options. Trade up, trade back, take an edge, take an offensive tackle. I don't think Paris Johnson is going to be there. I don't think they're high on a player like Broderick Jones. Maybe it's Darnell Wright. Who knows? Peter Skaronsky. Right now, I feel safest about Miles Murphy. This guy who's nailed the position the Patriots drafted in the first round the last four years, but not the player. This is where I'm rolling the dice. So that's it. The last mock draft. Happy draft day. Here comes Tommy Curran. Talk big picture questions. All this should hold up through the weekend. So feel free to just listen to this, revisit it later. And then I will see you Sunday uh, recording next to recap the Patriots draft. And then that episode will drop on Monday. Enjoy the draft, everybody, in this conversation with Tommy Curran. Okay, your friend and mine, Tommy Kern of NBC Sports, Boston, the Patriots Talk podcast, taking a vigorous swoop of his coffee. He's ready to roll here on Wednesday. It's not quite the doldrums of draft season because those are way past us. The draft is tomorrow. We are excited. Everything is finished. Everyone's playing a waiting game. I feel like you're ready for the draft by, by this point, yeah? Yeah, 100%. I think that it's going to be a fun draft more than anything else. And now I'm so sick to my stomach that we're going to have uh, some split attention between the draft and the Celtics game, which should not be occurring tomorrow night, but will be occurring tomorrow night. Brutal, brutal, but uh, it's a happy season. So we'll move on. We have a few big picture topics I want to hit with you today, because when you're talking Patriots and big picture, there's only one place to go. And it is you, my friend, uh, along, of course, my colleague, Carrie, and maybe a couple others, but with you, it's tremendous perspective, insight, things that people always, always have their finger on. So this podcast is intended, this part at least, to have some staying power through the weekend and explore things that you know what I'm about to say because I've emailed you this rundown. Number one in that rundown says, you know, basically, what just intrigues you about this draft? You just called it fun. They're at 14. They could get a blue chip player, but maybe there's not so many blue chip players. What intrigues you? One, that so many teams are getting it out there that they don't love the draft, that they're not many players who are first round talents. And as a result, they're devaluing, I think, the class in general. 
Now, the Patriots often profit from having a different script that they play off of. Players that are devalued elsewhere, they value, whether it's Devin McCourty or Cole Strange or Kyle Duggar, we see it time and time and time again, where the Patriots target players that nobody else really likes. So if that's the case and teams want to parachute out because they're like, these guys aren't good enough to spend the 12th pick on, we can get somebody else like him at 33, the Patriots have an opportunity to move up. And being at 14, 46, and 75, I believe, are their first three picks. 76, but yeah. 76. They have to get busy with some of those later picks. So they have 11 total picks. Go ahead at 14, but then start packaging. Get up into the early second, even maybe the 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 late first, and get another player who can be of impact. And that's the other aspect, Andrew, that intrigues me about this draft and excites me is tight ends, corners, Offensive tackles, wide, not wide receivers. Edge rushers. And edge edge players. I I counted them up. They make up 38 of the top 50 players on the 33rd team website's top 50. And those are all the Patriots' positions of need, in my estimation. So they have just an, an awesome opportunity to make their team better. I love the imagery you painted there where teams are just kind of parachuting out because they don't like the talent at the top, something that we've heard as well. Though it always pivots, right? The last week of the draft is, this is the most unpredictable draft that we've had. And there's an element to that, but it's also the reporters you hear that from <clears throat> work from the league. So tune in Thursday night to find out what's going to happen. The most unpredictable draft, but the imagery more so in like a kickball game at recess. Like the Patriots are picking the kid, picking his nose in the corner, who's flunked out of <laughs> PE and said, you know, you're our first pick. And then they mold him and Bill coaches him up and he's clanging doubles into left field. For me, it's, it's, really just the position. I mean, we start, you know, the off season on a down note, they're eight and nine. They're going to have their highest pick since 2008 with Gerard Mayo. You can get a blue chip player. Oh, there aren't so many. You can still go get one if they trade up. And I had the worst question of the press conference with Matt Crow last week. And I said, do you have any sense of how that changes for you? He goes, well, we were at 15, two years ago. So yeah, we've got a pretty good idea of what it would take to trade up. But you look at the places they could jump if they wanted to Philly, at 10th, I outlined this earlier this week in some fake trades that I mapped out. They could swap picks in the first round, swap picks in the third, throw in a fourth round pick. And believe it or not, Tom, that's enough draft capital by these modern charts that Philly would say yes. Or you go to mm-hmm. seven to the Raiders who need to add as many players on defense as possible and trade up with their old friends, Josh and Dave. So I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's a possibility more in a way that we've not seen before for the reason that you mentioned and the ones I just outlined. Yeah, and I spoke to Thomas Dimitrov last week on this pod, uh, Patriots Talk pod, and he said that's what he loved to do was trade up, be aggressive, move up, move up, move up. And especially now with that F them picks mentality kind of seeping in around front offices around the league and the enjoyment of making trades and making waves and you know capturing a glimmer of attention around the league, I think GMs like to do that. So moving up to me makes sense. Who are you moving up for that you wouldn't be able to get a player of their ilk at 14? That to me is, you know, the big question. And, you know, we can get into the different positions, but I look at cornerback as the safest spot on the team, excuse me, in the entire draft to make their team better because there are several. Go ahead. I agree. I just see a much greater drop off with the offensive tackles. We're not here to get into the nitty gritty or the players, but I think for them, if you're going to move up, it's to get a Paris Johnson, whom you might love or Mm -hmm. Peter Skaronsky who falls, even though 
Uh, Phil doesn't like his T-Rex arms. Uh, three three quarters of an inch making a big difference to Phil, but we'll leave it at that and all the uh, immature jokes on the side because um, we talked about this last night in early edition. But I think corner makes sense. You love Witherspoon. Everyone loves Christian Gonzalez. There's just an opportunity there. You're this high up. It's not only just to take a player at 14, but if you really want to at nine and eight, and then you just cross that need, frankly, off the board, mm-hmm. given your depth, the way you built at least an offensive tackle and for agency that you have some options in corner elsewhere. But let's say, let's say they don't do that, or let's say they do it and they whiff. What's at stake this year? Like what's unique about this draft that we don't just say, Hey, you need to hit in a first round pick because they're really valuable. What's unique. Robert Kraft has fairly consistently pushed his chips into the middle of the table for the last three years. You know, first it was, we haven't drafted well. That was in 2021. He pushed his chips into the middle of the table, making that comment around the owner's meetings time. Um, Last year was, we haven't made the playoffs and gotten a win in three consecutive years. and, And I expect us to do that this year. This time, it's basically specifically saying that we made a mistake with our coaching staff last year and also steering clear of making any guarantee that the Shula coaching record was there. So Bill's seat is quite plainly warm to the touch for anybody who bothers to touch it. Now, there's sacrilege in even uttering that, and people just put their hands over their ears and start saying, no, 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 no. It's a fact. So what's at stake for Bill is he has an awesome opportunity, especially in the first 100 picks, to make the team better. Additionally, the the drafts haven't been bad the last couple of years. So can you set this team up for the latter half of this decade, or are you going to go off half-cocked, somehow admit that this player you took at 15 two years ago was a mistake lobby to move on from him as a result of the coaching decisions that you made, try and get a quarterback and continue to muddy the waters. I mean, it's to me, it's this will determine whether or not Bill Belichick gets the record here in new England or does not. Wow. It's, It's that plain. I mean, if F it up, which I don't think they will, and I think the likelihood is that he gets the record here. But if you screw this up pretty badly and the team is middling again, he's not going to get three years to break the record. See, I have trouble going that far just for the fact that we don't know often with these draft classes until it's been three years, whether they they hit or miss. So it, it, it's kind of a fraught question in that sense. Where I stand on this, though, is that it, what's at stake is the ceiling of this season. You hit on a kid who you could plug and play at left or right tackle shuts down that side or a cornerback shuts down that left or right side. You know, you might advance around further in the playoffs if you get there, or maybe you go from a fringe playoff team to solidly in the wild card race. And that makes a big difference for bill. There's a domino effect there that I think is hitting at what you're saying. I just think too, though, it builds a better case for him, or let's say they hit on this draft class, but succumb to injuries and finish eight and nine again, even though the team's appreciably better, it's just their strength of schedule and just everything that goes in with the division, yada, yada, yada. And he says, we've hit in our last three draft classes. We fixed the draft the way you wanted. The wave is coming. It's just in the distance. It's growing. It's rolling. But here it comes and it'll land. And I said this last year about their young players will take them as far as they can go. And they got some decent impact from Cole Strange here and there. Tyquan Thornton 
basically a redshirt year, even though he played a ton. Marcus Jones played really well. Jack Jones when he wasn't suspended. And it just wasn't enough for the coaching issues that arose at, as bad as we all thought it would be. Wasn't wasn't nearly as, as bad as it turned out to be. Is there a mistake you see? The quarterback conversation is interesting to me, and you just hit on it. I, Will Levis would be this kind of flip the table, I'm over this F instantly grade kind of hot take for me. Is there another mistake, or is it just taking your quarterback kind of there at 14 in the first round? Yeah, it, and it's only in the first round. If Hendon Hooker is on the board in round two, have at it. You need yeah. to. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson from UCLA, another athletic player who played for Chip Kelly in round three or four, have at it. Tanner McKee, Stanford, big lug. Take him in round three, have at it. It's just saying, hey, we had the 15th pick on the board, 14th pick on the board, and we went with a quarterback because two years ago when we were at 15, we screwed up. It would just it's just take a flamethrower to the selections if you're doing that. And Bill has taken a flamethrower to so much money that Robert Kraft spent in 2021 and taken a flamethrower the previous decade to so many valuable picks that people don't look at the arc of the way things have gone. They just look in snapshots. And they don't look at the totality of the decisions and how agitating those are for ownership when the results don't yield risky or unconventional decisions made, whether it's Cyrus Jones or Joan Williams or Jonu Smith. Those are the things that rankle. That's interesting. Do you think that, and my answer would be no on the front end, not to affect whatever you'll say, but I don't think it will. Considering those unconventional decisions, be it in the draft, the coaching staff, strategically, whatever, does that curb Belichick to maybe a more conventional path here in the first round where they play it more chalk because of the misses and the, the warm seat you've talked about? It's funny because they went full chalk in 2021 and they hit on their first two picks and then added <laughs> Ramondre Stevenson later. <clears throat> that was great. But in 2021, excuse me, 2020, they went no chalk and they got a really good player from Lenore Ryan in the second round. And they got Mike Unwenu that year too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, sixth round. Sixth round. Turns into a PFF darling. Last year, no chalk with Cole Strange and Tyquan Thornton, both of whom are quote-unquote overdrafted. And I think both are going to be at least C-plus pros, at least C-plus pros. So I don't think Bill will be necessarily cowed by going off half-cocked. But it's funny for a guy who seems to bristle at attention and conversation. He covets conversation. He covets being the topic of conversation, whether it's during the draft with Cam Newton, whether it's free agent signings like Tebow or Ocho or Hainsworth, whether it's you name it. They continually make moves <clears throat> in which I don't think Attention is the primary focus, but I don't think that Bill minds the attention either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. For, for as much mm -hmm. as we discuss him being a master of eliminating distractions, he can create them just as well and make things more complicated, which we see and feel in our scheduled day-to-day -day lives covering the team as far as the media perspective, which is not really pertinent or useful to a draft conversation. But I think it's an interesting overall point where, again, I don't think he'll be – 
any less cautious or conservative right. to kind of play the board. <clears throat> but honestly, at 14, you mentioned 2021, they were 15 with Mac, best player in their board. Their only guy among the top quarterbacks, my understanding was that they really liked it, like Davis Mills, but he didn't fit in that top four, top five conversation then. And if you're 14 and you got a guy like Tyree Wilson, who's this pick that supposedly old friend Nick Casario loves in Houston, maybe even at two, falls down the border. Nolan Smith, Georgia, played in the national championship defense. Yeah, take him. Plug him in. Jackson Smith and Jigma. We've talked about him forever. They sent uh, Ross Douglas and Adrian Clem to the Ohio State Pro Day. Maybe it's Paris Johnson. Who knows? Just take the safe, obvious big school pick and what let's if, roll. <clears throat> what about a safe big school pick that could very well be the highest graded player on the board whose name is Bijan Robinson? See, that would be my second biggest mistake for them because, and, and I'm torn. I'll say this. I think B. John Robinson is everything that he's been billed to be. It's growing on me. <laughs> I can see it. He would be a lot of fun. And he's also a player that we've been talking ad nauseum, but rightfully so, that keeps opposing coordinators up at night. In this case, defensive coordinators. How do we game plan for him? They don't have anyone on the roster right now like that. Maybe Ramondre Stevenson, but that's basically about it. So he would fall in that category. But as a running back, he is so dependent within any offense, no matter what your system you're running, on the blocking up front, and then it's a matter of how many defenders are in the box on the other side of the line of scrimmage that basically determines how far you're going to get. That's just the nature of the position. There are 16, 18 people involved in a run play. One, even the guy with the ball doesn't have the power to overcome other eight, nine, ten guys who are immediately next to him. So they can split him out. They can have him run routes as a slot receiver. Make him He's a weapon, not a running back. Just right. great marketing by him and anyone around B. John Robinson. But is he running routes out of the slot better than Kendrick Bourne? Like his matchup is if he faces a linebacker. What if they just have a third safety rolling down or it's a nickelback? Like I think he's a great player. But if you don't address your offensive line, which was the biggest issue last year offensively, aside from the coaching, he doesn't help that. And he would be I hurt by that. I 100% agree with you. And that was especially as the season went along and it fades a little bit, doesn't it? But as the season went along, you're like, we, what can you, we can't even converse about who can play and who can't because there's no protection. It's chaos back there. Yeah. So yeah. But as, as we get further along and you presume Adrian Clem will be better and you presume the Cole strange will make a stride. And then you presume that the right tackle position will be manned by people who can can now actually show up and give you a consistent effort. I look at B. John Robinson and say, if you want to talk about a coordinator being up at night, maybe Bill O'Brien should be the coordinator up at night, just coming up with ways to get B. John Robinson in space and revolutionize that position. You have a pounder you can use on first and second down. If B. John Robinson only carries the ball 125 times, but he's targeted another 110, well, now you've got that guy. And you talked about the mismatch aspect, James White and Julian Edelman were walking mismatches for this team in 2019. The only reason that they were able to go 12 and four, because that was the entire frigging offense for Tom Brady. Edelman and White. And when Edelman's leg went to sawdust, it was just White. And then when White got hurt, it's been nobody. They have nobody in the short range. Robinson can be that. He can also be somebody who alleviates for the next two season the load on Ramondre Stevenson, who was a top 10 back in my estimation. 
I agree. And then I, and you this, can split them out. I'm babbling here, but go ahead. No, no, no. The, the <laughs> name that would split the difference here between you and I or anyone who's advocating for Bijan, because again, I get it. I'm not saying it's stupid. I'm not here to say anything other than I would pan the pick because I think the opportunity cost is also significantly great of saying, okay, no top 10 offensive tackle, corner, whatever it might be. Um, Jameer Gibbs splits yes. the difference here. Second round pick, even you trade up, kid from Alabama, Bill O'Brien's familiar with him, excellent pass catcher, water bug, but could develop because he's a little bit big. He's like, weighs as much as I do, but he's five foot nine, you know, and, and a good, healthy 200 pounds. Uh, for him, I think that would be a way to split yeah. the difference. You add a difference maker, but the opportunity cost isn't so great. Still get a guy at top, top 12, top 15. I want to add one more mistake, not, not to drag us into negativity town, but I think we talked about the quarterback. For me, it's a running back. If you wait to draft an offensive tackle until day three, I think mm -hmm. this is an issue because you not only look at Trent Brown, who played all 17 games last year, good for him. Um, his health history is going to come around to bite them at some point. I, I just have to think that. Not to mention Riley Reef is 34. The last two teams he was on had one of the worst offensive lines in football, said thank you, but no thanks. And then you have Calvin Anderson. I think two of the three of them could stick when you throw them all to wall, uh, but two of the three of them are also on contract years. You need a good developmental player you can count on to start at least in 2024, if not later, because I think that also dams up all the pressure that started to bug Mac. And you and I saw it where he's trembling in August. He's got a red jersey on that says, don't touch me. And he's spooked already. You fix the offensive line. You can amplify that running game we're talking about and help Mac Jones. Am I That's wrong? Great. No, you're 100% right. And it's kind of an oversight by me. It's it's a very specific um, way of boiling the draft for the Patriots if they did that. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, I totally agree. You can't have a season. I don't want to be sitting here in September. Look, we watched those training camp practices, and Phil pointed it out to me. I didn't see it live, but I think it was Mac Wilson who, during one run play, just walked through the defense and put his hand up. Excuse me, the, the offensive line and put his hand up because they couldn't block him. Nobody has counted for the guy in the middle of the defense. Yeah. He walked up and he put his hand up and said, nobody's blocking me. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> so you hope that that shit gets fixed. Yeah. With all your heart, because it was a complete non-starter last year. Yeah. All right. What do we expect to learn? The draft is over. We're talking Sunday. Best pick, worst pick. We're throwing out the grades. Understand we shouldn't throw out the grades. But big picture, what do you think we'll learn about the Patriots in a few days here? We'll learn whether or not their trend towards getting faster and faster and faster continues. We'll learn what they think about some of their contract year entering players, <clears throat> maybe on the edge. Take somebody early on the edge, Uche and Judon, who are both coming up. One or the other or both are going to be going. Um, we will learn whether or not Jasicki and Hunter Henry are being replaced by a tight end. Uh, Laporta, for instance, from Iowa. I would love a tight end. They do. They need it. They need it. Um, we will learn what everybody thought of Zay Flowers. <laughs> and we will learn, I think, too, interestingly, the Patriots have been so offensive-centric in the first round over the past however many seasons. <clears throat> will they spend 14 on defense? Or will they stick with offense saying that this is where we have to get better? Or will they want to say, Let's continue to try and lock down this side of the ball with the safest pick on the board, which is a cornerback.
I'll say we'll learn about where they see themselves. There's already a ready-made wildcard team that doesn't see itself in the basement of the AFC East, even though Aaron Rodgers is now your new neighbor down in New York. Because if they do take an edge, I think that's a player who can contribute right away. But people forget Dietrich Wise plays on the edge. Like he was their starter opposite Matt Judon, who's here, was the Iron Man on the defense playing, I think, 60% of their snaps. Very rare in the edge. Uche's in the mix. Jennings, Judon, as you mentioned. But if they take one there, that's a player you don't pencil in for 60% of your snaps because you've got the starters there. So I think the way they make their picks will tell us whether or not they see themselves as ready to go into the playoffs now. And if not, if it's a corner high who's going to start right away, that says, okay, we have glaring holes. We know we need help. This should fix it. Now we're ready to take off. But if they think their wild card team or playoff contender now, we'll see more luxury picks than I think you or I would like. Yeah. I, that's why I can't wait. And that's a great question that you pose is how they view themselves. Fast, fast, fast was so important to them last year with Taekwon Thornton. And it was just a glaring issue. Are they a faster team? Did they get much faster adding Devontae Parker, Juju Smith-Schuster and Ramondre Stevenson as your lead guys? Yeah, they got Taekwon Thornton, who's a blink, but otherwise they're still kind of a plotting offensive team. Yeah, yeah, Gasicki helps a little bit verticality over the middle, but it's not like he's running a 4-4 and Johnny Smith was plotting along at 5-3. So it's, it's an upgrade. It's not exactly um, demonstrably better. All right, last question. Uh, we got to do a prediction. All these mock drafts are just predictions. All these bold predictions, obviously, are ways to look into the future. This is going to happen. No one knows anything. Well, you got to get you out on the one thing you feel firmest about heading into the weekend. They'll have to take a cornerback. It's going to make their defense better. It's going to be what Bill looks at as the missing piece to keeping their defense at a high level, which it already kind of is. And it makes the domino effect of the entire defense that much better. They have to use that position to contend. Yeah, points are going to be important, but they already added the most important piece they could add on offense with Bill O'Brien. Now they have the opportunity to add it on defense, and they do it at corner. I think they double dip at corner. I feel very confident. I think it'll be later than people like, similar to the third and fourth rounds we got with Marcus Jones and Jack Jones, because they could talk themselves into, we were out of corners against Miami and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell in week 17. Uh, we beat them anyway, which maybe you chalk up to Teddy Bridgewater, but I think they look at a position that they can actually develop and find talent and diamonds in the rough on like receiver. I think we get a tight end well before wide receiver. I think they do address offensive tackle on day one or day two. What they do with that first pick, I have no clue. <laughs> I'm still changing my mind. Talking offensive tackle last night on TV and now looking at the edge guys going, it's probably a safe pick if I want to hedge between 14. And we haven't even talked about a trade back, which is good for us. But mm -hmm. everyone's expecting it. And at least a guy who I think could still be around in the early 20s, which I mentioned in the intro. So I'll leave it at there. But um I don't know. You're right. You, you hit it off the top. This is going to be a fun draft for the Patriots. We don't always get to say that waiting until the 20s trade back into day two. Great. You got some value. Make a pick. Take a great player. Take a pick. Be aggressive. That's I just wrote a call on be aggressive, 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 aggressive. Yeah, I love it. All right. Tommy Curran, you know where you can find him. Thank you for always making some time here in this uh, little podcast. All right, buddy. Have a great week. See you soon.